This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. You came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. No, obviously the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. Galatia Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world. And I have to deal with them. I'm your host, Molly Marsh. It's a horrible, dark, wet evening. I'm hating how the uh, the seasons seem to have changed overnight uh, here in the UK. Uh, but anyway, um, buckle yourselves in um, for a... Buckle yourselves in. Fasten your seatbelts. What am I saying? Uh, for a bumper Galactic Yo-Yo episode this week, because I just could not cut out um, virtually any of what this week's guest, Rob Shearman, uh, had to say. He, he, you know, talking to Rob was so fascinating. He had so many amazing stories and so many amazing um, opinions about Doctor Who and about stories, uh, and I just couldn't, uh, I just couldn't cut uh, pretty much any of it out. Uh, it was all, it was all too lovely. Um, so enjoy an extra long episode. Um, it was amazing to meet Rob. I'm so grateful that he uh, that he came to meet me and talk to me. He he came to my flat in uh, in North London. We were supposed to meet at a pub down the road, but then as he was setting off, uh, Rob sent me a message to let me know that the pub didn't open until two hours after we were due to meet. So um, he very kindly uh, said he would come to my my flat instead. Uh, we recorded in my kitchen um, over a glass of Ribena uh, each. Uh, and it, it, yeah, like I say, it's just ama- it was just amazing to hear all of his stories and all of his thoughts. Um, so I'm going to stop going on now and I'm going to let you enjoy that. Um, so I suppose without further ado, here is my extra long conversation with Rob Shearman over Ribena in my kitchen. Yeah, so I'm here with uh, Rob Sherman, Robert Sherman. Which do you uh, prefer? Well, How are you I'm, more often credited? I'm, I'm, I'm credited as always as the full name. Right. Because I thought it would make my parents feel more proud of my job, though it didn't. Um, but actually, all my friends call me Rob, so right. please call me Rob. Cool. Because that's much, much better. Otherwise, cool. it feels like you're my, um, maybe my accountant, because he still calls me Robert. Right. I, I, and I always my feel terribly formal. So my father is called Robert. Okay, and as was his father, yeah. and his father, and his father. But, but but were they Robs or were they Bobs? So my dad is a Bob. Right, I've never been a Bob. And, and his dad was a Bob. Yeah. And my dad became a Bob later in life. Yeah. Um. And then so now the only people who call him Robert are his mum. Yeah. And weirdly, my mum because she lived with him and his mum and his dad, so yeah. I had to find a way of alternating between that Bob, my grandfather, yeah, and Bob. My, so changed up. So now only. Two or three people in the world call him Bob. He's, he's a Bob otherwise. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I've never felt like a Bob. No. I can see if there were lots of Roberts in your life, you'd have mm-hmm. to make those differentiations. The only person who calls... I, I, I recently began chatting to Stephen Wyatt. Right. 
you know, Paradise Towers. Yeah. I met him at a convention and we're going to have lunch soon. Oh, great. And it's lovely because I really, really admire him. I think he's <laughs> a, a terrific writer. But he calls me Bob oh, in okay. every message. And I, and I was sign it as Rob, thinking he'll notice. He'll notice that I'm not Bob. And after a while, I just think, I, c I can't tell. It's, it's too late now. I, no. I, I always have to be Bob for him. You'll just be Bob to him. And maybe that's good. Maybe I can be Bob <laughs> for classic series Doctor Who writers. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, everyone I meet from now on, I'm going to make them call me Bob. <laughs> so it fits in with the sort of Stephen Wyatt, you know, chain of command. Great. I'm doing that. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. Where, where do we start? I suppose we'll start at... Um, well, we'll do something unusual for me, actually, and we'll start at the beginning. Okay. And let's think about your first memories of watching Doctor Who. Right. And uh, as, a, as a boy, I assume. Yeah. No, I, I was... I came to it very late. I was really scared by right. it. Right. My younger sister could watch Tom Baker. Mm hmm And I, mean, I, remember, I remember catching a bit of Creature from the Pit and just before a firework night we went to, and I was really angry with her for watching it because it was like she was letting some sort of strange you know, horror demon into the house. I mean, that's how much I was scared of horror things. Right. And my earliest memory, I've, I, it's obviously, I can work out now, is The Sunmakers Part 4. But I was about seven or about eight then, mm -hmm. actually. I'm not quite, it's on the cusp of 77, 78. And I can't remember what quite it was. Quite a dry story for a seven or eight yeah, year old. Yeah, and, really. and uh, you know, and all I remember is the bit at the end where the collector goes down the tubes as a, as a blob and I was freaked by it and it's <laughs> not even meant to be a scary bit it's the Doctor winning no so I couldn't watch it I mean if that if, if the theme music came on and it was obviously it's, it's that great classic time tunnel thing, mm. well, which is which, mm. I, which I adore now mm. but even Tom Baker's face used to freak me I mean I was really upset by it and it's and it's odd as a result because you know I, I, I so much wanted to avoid it mm. But I got into hitchhikers at school and um, someone on the school bus told me that Douglas Adams wrote Doctor Who and I was so, I wanted so much more Douglas Adams and there wasn't very much. No. That I went out and I bought some novelizations and kind of made myself believe <laughs> that he'd written them under a pseudonym. So <laughs> I bought... Image of the Fendal and Invasion of Time, and read them, thinking, "Oh yes, I can see, I can see this is Douglas Adams, even though it obviously <laughs> isn't remotely Douglas Adams." I still made myself yeah, do that, yeah, because he never wrote a, a novelization. No, Douglas. that's right, yeah. and 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 of course, I didn't understand also at that age that it wasn't written by just one writer. Mm. I didn't mm. know how much there was. Mm. I mean, as I say, the only sort of ideas I was having that the 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 thing I was most scared about actually was. You probably won't remember it, but there was the Rod Hull and Emu show, which was this strange... I, I know what it is, but I don't remember but it. They, but they yeah. had a parody Doctor Who thing in it, which was right. the Deadly Dustbins. And that used to terrify me. I couldn't... That's how easily scared I was that I had to <laughs> run from the room when the comedy version of Doctor Who came on. I love on. that. Yeah, with with uh, puppets and just these dustbins going so down uh, and down. So how road. old were you by the time you sort of managed to settle down and, and well, enjoy it? And I... It's strange. I, I became a fan very suddenly when during the sort of the five faces of Doctor Who season mm -hmm. of repeats in late eighty one. The so early eighties, yeah. So I was eleven at this point. Mm. I didn't actually see any of them because I didn't understand that I, I caught a bit of Logopolis and then of course it was the end of the series. Mm -hmm. 
and I, I didn't see the whole of the story. I saw a bit of episode one. I was it was the bit where they had the Tardises inside the Tardises, right? And somehow, and it seems like a an age now before Castrovalva came on. Mm-hmm. I had managed to go out and read about twenty or thirty novelizations, and had read the Doctor Who program guide, which had come out at that point, yeah. and had already kind of memorized all the titles. Right, and I got the making of Doctor Who, and I and and, and I knew everything. And yet I'd never seen an, an actual story. And it was only about two months' time. So I really suddenly obsessively decided to be a Doctor Who yeah. fan, having never seen any. And I remember watching Castrovalva and loving it. Mm-hmm. But then watching Fort of Doomsday and being immediately scared because it was spaceships. And I was uncertain I'd actually like science fiction. Right. Castrovalva still, I mean, I, I still love Castrovalva. It appealed to me because it was this sort of tremendously magical, realist thing. Very strange. Yeah, and, and that's what I've always yeah. loved. Mm. But I didn't really want it to be what I found Doctor Who often was. So when I when it opened on a spaceship, I thought, oh, it's about to lose me. Mm. It was only because I'd already read all these novelizations. Right. Which then weren't you get like Kinder, Kinder, which pulls you back. Oh, my God, yeah. The yeah. other I mean, way. That, right? yeah, that's my third proper Doctor Who story, and it's one of my favourites. And I had, it was on my 12th birthday that Kinder episode four went out, I think. Right. And, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, that season to me became this magical thing. But I was already at that stage buying Doctor Who magazine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sort of feel there was actually so no quick. point of innocence. No. But I was already, you know that bit in Castrovalvo where he's walking around doing impersonations? Yeah. Talking about, not far now, but if the Ice yeah. Warriors don't get yeah. there first. I said to my sister, the Ice Warriors, who also appeared in The Curse of Peladon and The Monster of Peladon. I already knew all that stuff on my first episode. You went in there. Yeah, I, I, mean, I went for total nerd. Wow. because. What and that was more difficult then as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was also in part because a friend at school who uh, I must name check, his name is Owen Bywater, mm-hmm. and I had a character in my Dalek episode called Bywater. He came into school one day, he was a few years older than me, and he mm-hmm. gave a talk to the class as a sort of outside speaker because he was a sixth former, <laughs> third formers, or, or something. Um, and he showed a list of all Doctor Who stories. And I really liked like gold dust, lists. Surely, surely yeah. yeah, and he had everything. It was a huge scroll from mm. an earthly child down to um, Logopolis at that point. Yeah, we, we, I, we, I used to have on my wall that um, poster from Doctor Who magazine that had Doctors One to Four yeah. photographs of, yeah, and then little um, lists underneath, like sort of, of checklists of, of all, all their the stories. The stories. What was in the archives, no doubt, as well, which was. A, s- a source of almost immediate depression for me. Yeah, and months yes. after becoming a fan, I found out it was almost all wiped, and I yeah. couldn't believe it. Yeah, I'd, I'd found painful. this thing I wanted to exist, and then it didn't. It was really upsetting. An extraordinary thing is when you tell people who are not f- fans of Doctor Who about the missing episodes and watch their faces sort of yeah not compute. Yeah, you know. It, yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. I mean, there were things it was where things are missing, but but, but yeah. it was but it was that strange thing also that I I just. When I was a small kid, I just used to memorise lists. That's the sort of person I exactly am. Exactly the same. And I, you know, I'd, I'd memorised all the kings. I can still do it. You know, memorise all the kings and queens of England and yeah. other, other countries and give you all their dates. And I still know them all. Yeah. I love all that. And so Doctor Who gave me another list. So I think, in a funny way, what drew me to Doctor Who was the fact that it had a long history, mm. which mm. that you know, which it wasn't even longer now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's you only can do got all worse. kinds of lists with Doctor Who. You can do, but I couldn't list believe of doctors, list of yeah, yeah. And I did that all the time, and I was rearranging stuff. Yeah. I couldn't believe it had eighteen seasons. Yeah, 
which still does seem like an awful lot. It's still a lot, even now. though we've now got even though it's 30 like thirty something seasons, yeah. thirty-eight or something. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's unbelievable. That, mm. But I, but that's why I memorized it, and I, I didn't do it again deliberately. I was just of the age where I could learn lists. Yeah. But yeah. even now, with the new series going out, I still somehow add to the bottom of the list, so I can go now in my head. If I'm if I'm at the dentist's, mm-hmm. which I'm really scared of. And I'm in the chair. What I do is a sort of calming mantra in my head is go from an earthly child, dark side of destruction, Marco Polo, all the way down to... I relate to that. The Battle of Vanskarov Koros and, <laughs> and now, of course, um, Resolution. I do that if I'm bored. Yeah, and um, I, I, I do yeah. it if I'm watching a really boring movie as well. I, I, I start going in my head and thinking, yeah, let's, let's try and alphabetize them. Yeah. That's how bored I am. I'm going to try and do them. Let's, let's pick out all the stories beginning with A. <laughs> there's the Aztecs and the Ark, <laughs> and there's the Android Invasion. And, and I, I do stuff like that because yeah. that's the s- I, I still have that need for the lists. Yeah. Which yeah. is a bit, you know, in some ways I worried for a while when I got into the show that, I love the lists more than the show itself. I didn't care what the quality was, right. so long as there was another story I could put on the bottom of a list. Sure. Well, I, I think, when I think, the, I think the problem only comes when that list making weaves its way into people's uh, people's understanding of of the writing and understanding of the of the show. So they'll they'll want yeah. they'll want a particular storyline to satisfy something in in the list. Oh yeah, Do absolutely. You know I mean? I, and, and I was that sort of fan. I mean, right. I, I mean, I was. Between the ages of, I suppose, 11, therefore, to 15. I mean, I was massively obsessed by it. Mm-hmm. But in a very, very humorous way, I think. And, um, I mean, one of the things I always find quite funny about having now, you know, I think when, when I went to Big Finish and years later and did my first one there, mm-hmm. it's the sort of story that, that my younger self would have absolutely hated. Mm. In fact, my younger self would have hated my Doctor Who, mm-hmm. which I do on purpose because I hate my younger self. I mean, if I could go back in time, I'd punch him in the throat. <laughs> such a git. He really, he was awful, my younger self. He yeah. was, oh, he was so boring. And he just, you know, I'd go out and see people and all I could do is say, oh, I'm now going to tell you all about the Mask of Mandragora, which I've never seen, but I have read the novelisation. <laughs> and, 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 which is fine because I'm not attacking people who do that. No. Because that sounds no. like I'm being rude to them. But, yeah. but I look back and I just think, how did I have anyone in my life not actually just really bullying me or I, I wasn't particularly bullied but I should have been and I would go back now and bully me I would just say oh come on lighten up a bit crikey I know it's a bit it's a little <laughs> bit of a therapy confession which is probably not what you were anticipating no it's good it's good no. I like it I yeah. like it it's funny though you know, how we evolve as fans like there are stories, even on this podcast, so this podcast has been going for two years. Yeah. And there are stories I used to talk about on this podcast disparagingly yeah. at the start of making it, where yeah. that now I champion. Yeah, and, yeah. And well, vice I, versa. I, I think that's the real joy of it. And it's yeah. also the thing I, I sort of fell in love as well with, you know, because I, I, at university I was doing English literature and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I still love analysis and stuff. I, and the reason we did Running Through Corridors, Toby Haydock and me, in part was because we'd been doing DVD extras mm-hmm. and we'd worked out that the only way to do those properly is regardless of what you genuinely thought of the story, it's not worth doing a documentary unless you can make yourself believe that you love it. And then I thought, wouldn't it be funny to try and do it where we genuinely, episode by episode, say that we love every single thing <laughs> and make that part of the sort of yeah. comedy challenge yeah. of it. And, I, and, and it worked on us in a funny way. Stories I'd always disliked, 
I genuinely began to realise going into oh, them with the attitude a nice of saying, exercise to yeah. kind of re- redemptive reading of anything. I mean, I'd never liked Planet of the Daleks. Mm. And I suddenly thought, but actually in context, this is great and it's fun and there's nothing else strangely quite like it, even though it seems to be a remake of the Daleks. It's also, I mean, it's, it's, your, it's your sort of mind-eye image of what Dalek stories are. Yeah, yeah. Even though none of them ever do it except that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... And I just found myself realising more and more that the things I'd always written off um, had so much, even if they don't quite work, there's so much interesting stuff going on that I can sure. genuinely hand on heart say that I love every single classic series, Doctor Who story. I, yeah, I was, what I was going to ask you was, yeah. was that did, there were there any that you found impossible to, uh, to engage with? The there like? is one story that I find really hard to love in classic series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not one that other people dislike that much, but I really don't like Dragonfire. Right, okay. Oh, I think that's rubbish. I do, I really... But that's partly, I think, also, because I've never quite overcome... I did Dragonfire while I was doing my Oxbridge exams, mm. and I just remember at the time thinking, oh, this is so awful, and I've never been quite able to shake that. Everything else I can. I could look at things like Delta and the Bannerman only a week earlier and just say, oh, actually, there's a certain... Oh, I love Della and the Bannerman. Well, I love episode one. And I love episode two-ish. But they do weird things. I mean, I think that when they kill off all the... Uh, I mean, tonally, it's so over the shop. And it ought to be this joyful show. The way that Russell had done a show like that years later yeah. would have been gorgeous. But they still have mass murder in it. And I oh, just that's what I like about it. Really? I like the, I like the sort of horrific... Um, I like how they sort of shoot Ken Dodd in the back and there's this weird juxtaposition of this of this sort of very gun space war on top of this uh, it it, it is fascinating Delta I mean it's fascinating because it because like a lot of interesting Doctor Who it does feel like it's somebody working out how to write and to do television and that often means it's quite in, quite weirdly scrappy. Mm. But it does have a certain strange, unpredictable brilliance to it. Yeah, and, no, and, maybe, I, I, and that's probably true for Dragonfire as well, to be honest. I just don't like it. I'd always have a story like Delta and Abandonment over a story that, that sort of was by the numbers and by the book. And Yeah, and well, it's, it's also the way that, I mean, I think Gareth Roberts said years ago about the classic series that the last time Doctor Who ever was just average, just sort of dull... Mm-hmm. was Planet of Fire. And after that, it's either amazing or it's really, really awful, but they're always interesting. Mm-hmm. And I would always... And I, actually, I really like Planet of Fire, so I'm, I don't agree with that. I know, and also it's Gareth, you would agree with him anyway. But, there's all, <laughs> but, but there is that <laughs> sense That's also, yeah, which I think, you know, is... It, it, but there is a certain sense that the only times I get angry with Doctor Who now, because I still do, because I'm obviously, you know, an increasingly grumpy middle-aged fan is <laughs> when it's just dull i don't mind it making horrible mistakes i don't mind no i don't i, I mean don't. i mean i would i mean i know people got very upset about an episode like sleep no more mm-hmm. and i think sleep no, no i more, don't mind sleep i think sleep, sleep no more is really interesting i don't think it it's doesn't the quite best work episode in the world but it, no yeah it's, but, it, but it's bold it's trying something and i right? think things which which are actually trying it i mean it's why i mean i love let's kill hitler i mean i mean i love the stephen years enormously because they're so bold, mm. and but the, the the episodes do creep in occasionally. Under you know, in Stephen's time, yeah, earlier on than more than later on, I think, which just feel a little bit. Oh, I'm not quite sure what is what you're going for here, right? Guys. Right. 
And those annoy me far more than classic series shows because all of those, when they're bad, kind of feel like they're sure they're, they're, they're still quite waywardly bad. Whereas I think that there's something yeah. because I think new series is often much smoother. Mm-hmm. You can watch an episode like The Doctor's Daughter, which mm-hmm. I don't like very much, and just think. But you know what? I don't think the audience at home can tell the difference between this and Silence in the Library. No, no. But I can. Yeah. <laughs> and it annoys me that. It's still that you're look- phoning it in a bit. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, and and that it still looks good enough that it can fool people. Whereas if it's really, if you're to do a twin dilemma, mm, mm. I mean, twin dilemma is a really bold failure. I mean, I I quite admire it for that. It's a really bad decision, twin dilemma. But my God, it goes for being a bad decision in every way. And <laughs> yeah, and there's and there's no question as you watch it that you're thinking, what are they doing? Whereas you watch Doctor's Daughter and you, uh, with someone who's not a fan and they'll be saying, yeah, it's Doctor Who. And that annoys me. I, I, yes, I think that's where the, the sort of opinion of the of the fan and the and the you know, the casual viewer kind of is at odds. Yeah. Because, so something like, I'm trying to think about something like The Magician's Apprentice. Yeah. Um, yeah. That uh, outrageous scene where Peter comes on in the, on ta- the tank, on the tank yeah. and plays a guitar, which, you know, it's it's wacky. It's, yeah. It's off the wall. I you know, whatever. My girlfriend stopped watching the show at that point. Yeah. Because, and it, lo- loads of people say that about that scene. Um, and I don't think it's a bad scene necessarily, but it, but it's, it's a, a confrontational scene. It, it is a confrontational and, and, scene. And, 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 and it made me question. An, an audience notices, I thought, right? Do I like that? Yeah. I thought, I'm not I still sure don't know. I do. I still don't know. It's but, four years later. But I was quite like not knowing whether I've liked something or yeah. not. And I think yeah. that Doctor Who's remit, I mean, Doctor gets so much attention now as well, which it, you know, in mm-hmm. some ways, I think is a worrying thing. You know, I mean, when it began winning BAFTAs and things, I always thought, I'm not sure that, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I love Doctor Who so much and I was, you know, around at the time and I just thought, this is amazing, but I I think we have to justify it now, all this massive attention we get mm. by never, ever resting on our laurels and always being as risky as can be yeah which is why i loved stephen's time so much because whatever else it was doing and it and, and it, it did some strange stuff that i didn't think worked sometimes mm. but and stephen would agree i, mean, I was know, about to say i, I mean oh yeah look, I, mean, I mean the joy of seeing stephen so often is mm. that afterwards he'd be in the pub and say oh that was awful i totally ruined that this year i'll just i'll try something different next year yeah and he was and he was always so self-critical about it because he was experimenting and it didn't work yeah um, but sometime, but when it did, it was extraordinary. And the things that didn't work allowed the things that did work to happen. Yeah, yeah. So you can see episodes that you know, I'm not going to point them out particularly. I think it's rude because because <laughs> I know people on them. <laughs> but some things you think, oh, I don't think that one really came off. Yeah. And a year or two later, you'll get something which was obviously building upon it, like Heaven Sent. And you think yeah, this mean, is this is this is genius. I sure. Think, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, Doctor Who's virtue is that. You can see all the risks being taken sort of almost in broad daylight. Uh-huh. And you say, oh, okay. Whereas any other show, it's all about sort of unity of tone. Definitely. Um, and it's about smoothing out all of the bumps so that you can pretend if you're watching a bad casualty episode that it's no, as good as a yeah. good casualty episode. No Doctor show with, never bothers. No show with 37 seasons could, could go for a unity And also, really yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and, and I just and think that that's the... Th- I remember that when we did series one, and the Americans were reluctant to buy it. And I think it was, I think it was Russell told me this. He said that the Americans' reaction to when we sent in that Chris Eccleston series mm. was that we were incompetent. 
because they just said, well... Because it's, it's totally all over well, the what place. What are you doing? You mean, right? yeah, I mean, it's like you go from that to that, and that one's a comedy, and that one's that one's not a good <laughs> That's one. what's so fantastic about Doctor yeah, Who, Yeah, right? and of course, that's what Doctor Who... And, 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 yeah, and I think also we had that on Newsnight Review from Bonnie Greer. Mm-hmm. I, remember th- I remember being quite cross. <laughs> I've, I've always found her annoying since, even though she's actually really great. And I always thought, she's not got the point of this. She was saying things like, this won't fly, she said. She said, you can't go from this to this to this. I mean, it's like they don't know what they're doing. And I thought, we don't. And next year, I thought part of the joy is, well, it'll be different again. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I loved about Doctor Who in the classic days was that you could barely identify it was the same show two or three seasons yeah. apart, even with the same actor in charge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true with the new series and everything about the way that modern TV is produced suggests that that wouldn't be the case. It would all be series Bible and it would all be tonally controlled. Russell's series Bible that he gave us was two, three sheets of paper. I'd done a show with Chris Chibnall about two years before called Born and Bred and that had about a 150 page Bible. Wow. And it wasn't worth it. Whereas Doctor Who is worth it, and Russell just said, "Oh, we'll make, we'll, we'll, we'll just find out." Mm-hmm. It's like the whole Time War thing. We didn't know what that was. No. In, in another TV show, would have had a tremendous backstory, so we could be consistent. Russell said, "Well, we'll just find out, or maybe we won't." Ha ha. Yeah. And that was. But it. that's and the that, beauty that's of the it. Joy. Because it, what that leaves it open, that leaves the door open for for something like Day of the Doctor. Mm. You know, where you can come and you yeah. can and you can rewrite the story, or you can put. You can put stories on top of stories on top of stories. Yeah, and and the the amazing thing about having a change of show showrunner every few years is that which is wonderful as well. That I mean, enhances and, and, that yeah, thing and, of and it's, it's that know. thing that, that only the fans understand. I mean, yeah, I mean the but the main the main audience understand the change of Doctor, mm-hmm. and they see that as the big tonal shift. We know it's the it's not that so much. It's it, to do with the change from. Philip Hinchcliffe to Graham Williams is the yeah. change from Russell to Stephen. Yes, that's actually what really causes something to you know to, to change its tone entirely. Yeah. And that's what we wait to see with great interest. Yeah, I guess it would be interesting to see because we haven't in the new series yet had a doctor carry over the show run, run change. No. We I nearly know. had it with Tennant. And I suspect we won't. Yeah. It's I I think because of that relationship probably that lead actor has with the with their yeah. showrunner, they they usually it all comes at that natural time. I think it's also a, it's a much more intimate relationship now. Yeah. I don't mean that they're sleeping with each other because <laughs> that's what it suddenly seemed to imply. But no, it, it, it's it's something where the, the way that the new series works, that, that showrunner position is so much more a personal statement of artistic endeavour, mm-hmm. I suspect, than it probably was when you're just running a show and you're dividing up who's in charge of the scripting and who's in charge of the producing and, yeah. and that sort of sense of, I mean, I, I you look at Russell's time and it's, that's Russell. I mean, you know, I mean, I was privileged to be allowed to be a part of that, but you were always known, knew that you were doing Russell's vision. Yeah. It's yeah, one yeah. of the reasons why I find it so funny that people come up to you at the time, you know, when they didn't like Aliens of London and they'd say, oh, thank you for rescuing the show with your one after Russell's episodes. <laughs> As if I somehow got it made without Russell noticing. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't Russell in my, in, in 13 drafts was guiding me and encouraging me and supporting me and telling me to go darker sure. than, than, than he had done as a contrast to his one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's all like, part of the same Yeah, I mean, package, Russell was right? conducting that entire symphony and <laughs> so was Stephen later and yeah. Chris is now. And, and that's that's the kind of joy of it is you're watching some, you're, you're watching auteurs, mm. not to mm. be too pretentious. Mm. 
And I, th- I find that that's what you sort of miss sometimes with the old series, I think, a bit. You know, you, you don't get necessarily a sense of that that enthusiasm of one creative force, which I think is what becomes so fascinating about the show sometimes. Yeah, and it, and yeah, but it, it also makes it maybe easier to for people to blame the things they don't like on one individual. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it um. is, <laughs> which does make it all toxic yeah. as well. But and, yeah. you know, but but I remember back in the days when I was in the eighties and the campaigns against JNT. Yeah, John Nathan Turner. I mean, yeah. you just wonder now whether or I mean, what he would have gone through had Twitter or Facebook existed. Oh, he would have been a riot on Twitter, though. <laughs> he would have been quite fun. <laughs> He'd have been like Donald Trump. I think it would have just bounced <laughs> off him. He'd have been doing these weird 3 a.m. tweets. Yeah. That's, I don't know why I say that. He probably wouldn't have done anything of the sort. I, I, I only met John a couple of times when I was only a teenager. He was yeah. lovely as well. There's no reason to believe he'd be sitting on the toilet saying he had to go and bomb Iran. <laughs> I just I just imagine that's what John would have done. <laughs> oh, I've, I, here I am. I'm, I'm filming Delta and the Bannerman and I want to bomb Iran. <laughs> I'm Something gonna, like that. I'm going to try and reel things back. To, yes, sorry, uh, of reality, course. if possible. Of course. Um, yeah, but before we do any more talk of bombing around, yeah, um, probably wise. Yeah. Uh, let's. Oh, where should we go next? I was thinking maybe of talking a little bit about the work you did with Big Finish before yeah, sure, you of worked course. on uh, Proper Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, uh, to use a, a, a phrase that's probably uh, not a good phrase to use. Oh, I don't um, know. I mean, yeah. But I, yeah, what what was that like in the in that in that period of the sort of very early noughties when there was no sign of Doctor Who being back on the telly, but you were in it was involved in this amazing yeah. It was project. very odd, actually. I mean, because because we all knew it was dead, it wasn't going to come back, and mm. um, there was no chance ever of it coming back, and therefore, the Gary Russell who sort of got me involved, bless him. He didn't know me. Um, I'd been at university with Nick Pegg, right. who had directed a few and acted in a few, and he'd written Spectre of Lanyon Moore. And, and at that time, I'd been writing for Alan Aitbourne quite a bit at Scarborough, and I'd done a few radio pieces. And I, and I, was, mm-hmm. a, I was a comedy mm-hmm. writer. But he knew I was a big Doctor Who fan, because right. he, he remembered back from when we were at university together. And I watched Curse of Fenric in his house. <laughs> and he suggested me, and I was a little bit snobbish. Because I loved Doctor Who, but I also had always, what I was doing as a writer was so, because it it was, at that stage, it was either writing new adventures or nothing. And I had no intention of ever writing a book. I just always thought that I was a different sort of writer. And it was my wife-to-be, because we weren't married at the time, who said to me, oh, just stop being an asshole. <laughs> You love Doctor Who. Why don't you do this? And I said, well, I don't know that it will look good. She said, oh, you, <laughs> you, you stupid, you know. I mean, she, and she was right. I mean, what was funny about it was that it kind of released something new within me. I mean, writing The Holy Terror, which was my first one, right, was such fun because I was writing stuff that I hadn't kind of been allowed to write uh-huh. for my stage comedies. Uh-huh. I had an idea of doing the idea behind the Hoagie Terror as a stage play once, right. about this idea of trapping a child, two children at birth, mm-hmm. and the language that they would develop would be the language of God, which was, a, uh, I think, James I had the idea of that. I, I mean, yeah. s- some I mean, old all, Scottish But all kid. the best Doctor Who ideas are ideas that could work as standalone films. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I just thought, well, I can use that for Doctor Who, because it was such a crazy idea. Yeah. And I loved writing it. And I was so certain writing it, it was my only ever one. And, you know, we went and did the recording of it. And at that point, Gary said, 
you want to do another one? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I got out of that fairly immediately, Chimes of Midnight. Uh-huh. And then Holy Terror came out and it kind of bombed. I mean, it's quite, people liked it, but no one bought it. It was like, because it was that one a month big finish schedule, everybody was, it was quite expensive. I mean, it's nothing like now, but it was still for, I think, to be a bit, a bit of a commitment. Right. And it was advertised as being a sidestep. It was like, this one, this one isn't really within the canon. So people said, oh, thank God, we can take a month off. And so no one bought it because it had Frobisher in. And I thought, well, I'm a disaster. And then I got to write Chimes of Midnight. And I had a, and I was terrified writing that one. Uh-huh. Because I had to about a week. I was writing another stage play at the same time. Right. And so it's a very, very stage play-like feel to Chimes. Uh-huh. I didn't know what happened from episode to episode in that. I, I had to write it an episode every two days. And I would end on a cliffhanger and say, right, that was quite good. No idea what happens next, though. That's <laughs> really horrifying, and but you exciting. And you, you can tell in the script, I mean, I keep on putting in things like potential solutions to the mystery. And would you go back later and and, and change I would, things depending no, on what you I mean, came up with I'd, next? I'd, I'd cut out some red herrings. Right. Because I thought, oh, I didn't cut them all out, actually. There were bits in the first episode, you think, I've no idea why that's there. Because it doesn't really, right. but it's quite mysterious. But in some alternate reality you'd gone away and written some version yeah, of the script I didn't I, I didn't I didn't realize who the killer was until I was writing episode 3 right um it seems really obvious now but I didn't know that's so and exciting though people tell me that I, I worked that out from episode 1 I think well that's because mm. you're more intelligent than I because yeah. <laughs> I had no idea and it's but that was fun and, and but I was convinced it was terrible chimes and I sent it into big finish and I was certain that they were going to turn around and say yeah, you had to rush write it and it really shows and we can't produce this. Mm-hmm. And they didn't say that. They said, great. And I said, all right. <laughs> and then we went to the studio and I thought, this will be where I get rumbled. And Paul yeah, McGann yeah. will. And he, and he said, Gareth is great. And then I thought, all right. And we had to wait over a year before it came out. And I spent the entire year certain that it was going to be oh. absolutely awful. But it's and one of the ones people talk about. I know, about and it's bizarre. because Of I've, all the big finish. I've only dramas. heard it once, really. I only really listen to them once right but i heard it after a convention i was given a copy when it first came out and i went back on the tube and i listened to it and i thought this is really good <laughs> and i was so surprised because i think the sound design i mean i do think it's also quite a good script i, I mean i will be arrogant and say actually it's quite yeah, funny but th- does it sometimes but take a hearing actors reading yeah sometimes yeah. i mean and it can go the other direction sometimes but i've always been terribly lucky with my big finishes mm. i mean mm. what i think is really nice is that i did about half a dozen yeah and I'm proud of all of them, actually. I, th- I think they all seem to work, and people seem to like them a lot still, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and I've been lucky in as much as that the Doctor Who's I've done in different forms are broadly popular, mm-hmm. and no one gets away with that. I mean, <laughs> it's one of the reasons why it would be so hard ever to go back, because you'd think, well, I had that sort of bubble of a few years of doing Doctor Who, and I just, for some strange reason, I never quite, dropped the ball even though yeah. I kind of fumbled it a few times I don't think anyone actually noticed that badly that I, d- I didn't know what I was doing some of the time and and I think if I went back now I'd think uh, this will be when I get the one that everybody hates do, do, does, do you think that fear grows with time with people that so the longer you've not come back yeah the I mean, longer it, it'll be, the, the more people will expect you to to well, write a banger and it, it, it was it was the gap after doing Dalek actually as well yeah. I mean I mean I said at the time I mean there was an approach made to come back mm-hmm. and I decided I just couldn't face it quite quickly. And then Stephen brought me back briefly as well and I just didn't... 
I didn't do a very good job and I thought, I think I'll just back away from it. And I, I think as the years went by, and Stephen would say to me quite regularly, you know, usually when he was drunk, but he would say <laughs> to me, you want to talk about doing a Capaldi one day? And I'd say, yeah, I mean, maybe one day, but uh, it became a scarier and scarier option because I'd also realised that when Stephen was doing the show that I would be wanting to do a Stephen-like episode. And there's no point about out-moffeting Moffat. I mean, yeah, my sure. stuff, because my stuff is quite tricksy. I mean, I mean, I mean that's, that's yeah. my basic love, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is tricksy structural stuff. But he's better at it than me. And the idea of therefore doing an episode, I mean, watching Heaven Sent, I thought, it's a bit like my audio skirts, mm. but much, much, much cleverer and better. And that's my difficulty, was I think I would have always felt like I was kind of failing at being as clever as him. And you don't want that. You kind of want to have the arrogance to believe that that you're not going to lose the season poll in Doctor Who magazine. <laughs> you know, it's the it's the awful feeling. I mean, because it's funny, but that really does matter to yeah, people. Yeah, no, no, I can imagine. I mean, I ev- every single year the thing comes out. But it's strange who it hurts. I mean, uh, there was a magazine uh, thing that the writers did. Oh, it's, Crikey, it's raining really quite raining. hard out there. Okay. Um, where they asked a bunch of writers to talk about other writers on the show right. in, the, in the magazine recently. And we all did it separately, of course. Sure. But, but you see Matthew Graham, who's, a tr- who's terrific. Uh-huh. He talks about Fear Her and the reception of it several times in in those answers mm-hmm. in a way that suggests it, it left an impression that fans didn't like the episode in a mm-hmm. way that you'd have thought at the time that he wouldn't have had to have cared. But you do no, care. I mean, because he had such he had like a massive success with Life on Mars. And yeah, and, y- and you think, well, if he's done Life on Mars, why does he care about the fans like Fear yeah. Her? But he does care, and it, and, it, and, it, and it does rankle. And, yeah. and you do get that sense that, you know, Andrew Ellard said on your podcast a while ago, but it's true, you know, you everyone goes in wanting this to be the best it can be. And I didn't realise that as a yeah. young fan. I mean, I, w- I would moan about the monster of Peladon or Dragonfire, and I, and I didn't understand at the time. Mm. No one said, oh, we can't be bothered. It's one of the reasons why I always get mildly irked if you're online and people just ref- say, Refer well, to lazy writing. Just, yeah, God, Moff- I hate it. Moffat's being it. lazy again. You know, there are, there are many faults to any number of scripts, but they're, yeah. but they're never lazy. No. They just, if anything, it's usually that people have, overworked them if anything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you thought oh just calm down a bit is usually the, the response that to yeah, most scripts yeah. um but no it's it's a funny thing really it, it's that way in which i think it does yeah it, it's it, it leaves an, a, a great impression i mm-hmm. think if you work on it it you kind of know it's, it's i mean i know that it's going to be the biggest thing i ever do i mean i write books now mostly i'm very proud of them mm. and they do quite well mm. But I'm always aware that when I die, I'll be buried in... And Toby Haydock writes your obituary. Oh, yeah, and he will. <laughs> and and yet he'll be thrilled because I've taken a age to finish running through corridors with him and he's probably quite angry about that. But he would... I think, you know, but when I'm buried, it will be in a Dalek-shaped coffin. Yeah. And <laughs> the only people who actually talk about my career will be in the light of Robert Sherman, who brought back the Daleks. And of course, I'm terribly proud of that yeah. but you also know that that's going to be the most dominant thing uh-huh. and, I think and that, that doesn't bother you sometimes yeah right I mean because that wasn't what I intended no. that wasn't why I became a writer no. it's not what I'm writing very much now but it's also how can I be not also thrilled by that I'm, mm. a, I'm, a, I'm a Doctor Who fan yeah. and, and I got away with it I wasn't I wasn't sacked off the show <laughs> and I spent most of that season thinking 
as a Doctor Who fan, well, historically, everyone, there's always someone who's sacked off the show. And I thought, it's going to be me. <laughs> and then we lost the Dalek rights for about a month. And I thought, yeah, oh. it's definitely going to be me now. I mean, just, just history will mean that I can't do the replacement script because I couldn't work out an idea for it. And it was going really horribly wrong. And I thought, it won't be my fault, but I will at some point be taken off this. And that made me very, very unhappy for a bit, actually, doing my absence of the Daleks episode. Yeah. Was with the the, were you worried then that, that because of the the difficulties that were arising with that with that Dalek rights yeah. panic, that um, the script would be taken off you and, and Russell would maybe write a quick Yeah, and, and, and it would he be... He would hand it to I, another writer or... I, I, th I thought Russell would, for the sake of the show, I mean, it would have been done without any... I mean, I went to see Russell at his house in Manchester to discuss the, the where we were because it was mm -hmm. causing problems. And, I, and all my new ideas I was coming up with weren't really right. And I, ra I remember ringing the doorbell and, you op and Russell opens the door. And he's lovely, Russell. He's, you know, the thing about Russell was that he was very scary in a funny way. Yeah. Because he was, but he also, I never left a meeting with him, even though he could decimate what you'd done without feeling terribly excited about what I could do next. I mean, he was sure. wonderful at that. But you open the door and he's got a full-size Dalek in his doorway and you think well just rub it in then <laughs> I thought and we sat down and we talked about it and, and, and I could tell that he wasn't going to say this but it was like this was my last chance I mean come on pull your finger out and just yeah and just make this work and I and he gave me a monster to work with which was the Toclophane as was later named from series three series three yeah and I wrote it I did the best I could and it, and it was a very very different tone to Dalek and, I, and he said he was very happy with it. But I think we all were so relieved when a few weeks later we, I mean it's, we it's got the Daleks back. It's it got to be a different story. Because the, the story at its heart is a... I mean, is it? I don't know. I suppose yeah. you wrote it, you answered this. But to me, it, it, the, the story is about... Metafictionally about the Daleks as oh well. Oh, God, as absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. You, yeah. And it always was when it was Jubilee. Yeah. Well, which is, which, which is very, very different. Even more so with Jubilee, really. Yeah, but, it was, but, it's, but the story doesn't have any power... Mm -hmm. unless you believe this is genuinely an, an, an icon. Yeah. And you can't just say something's an icon. I mean, I thought that was part of the worry doing it, was that we were trying to reach an audience, say, of eight, nine-year-olds who, sure. who would have no idea that a Dalek was meant to be important just because we told them it was. Why would they believe us? Yeah. But yeah. actually, it does work because it is an icon mm. and there is a history behind it and that does give it a, a tremendous power as you're doing it. Definitely. Going on set and seeing it and everybody just being so amazed to see a Dalek on set mm -hmm. in a way that they wouldn't have been with a new monster does give, you know, I mean, I was I was so lucky I got that to work on as well. I mean, I mean, incredible actually because I wasn't a very experienced TV writer at all and the generosity of being given that commission mm. and at the time I remember thinking, I wish I got Father's Day because I loved the idea of Father's Day mm. and I saw that and Paul did it so so amazingly. But it was like one of my sort of self-enclosed universe stories. I don't know if the sort of thing you, I well, can I imagine to, doing um, Father's Day. It's a deadline well. last night, actually. Oh, did you? Um, oh, that, which I'd never heard before. That's, that's it's depressing. <laughs> it's really brilliant, though. Thank you. No, and I, I, and it, I can see what... It's, it's my proudest big finish. I'm, yeah, I, not I, dissimilar I'm from very something proud. like Father's Day, which is in that... Yeah. It's, like you say, it's in that little bubble and yeah 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 which is what i found the reason i stopped doing big finish was because i became aware that my stories were all kind of the mm. same mm. i didn't have much variety to what i did i think what i did i did quite well but i think they were all kind of 
these trapped ritualistic things people go around in circles in some ways which is mm-hmm. what i just find quite interesting mm-hmm. but you can't keep doing that as your big revelation and i did it yeah, about that's four or five fun, times though. like even a writer like stephen moffat like one of the things i love about him is that yeah. uh, you can you can watch a story and think well this is the same story you did last year is just better just like tweaked and yeah and like the themes are being worked through again and the, and like russell does the same thing yeah. well, and it, I, I really like watching a writer work through the same things well, themes I, again and again i and always i, I interrogated it at one point and i think it you know it annoyed people a bit online was, you know people don't remember it now but uh-huh. when people began criticizing the fact I was doing that, I, th- I remember sort of making a sort of slightly rubbish defence, which you must never do, mm-hmm. which I basically said, well, the thing is, is you only worry about that in Doctor Who terms. I mean, in any other form of writing, watching a writer over the course of their career, novelists or yeah, yeah. playwrights, return and develop and hone the same themes is actually what makes us interesting. Mm. That's, what, that's why we read these books. That's why Definitely. you read Dickens is you see a development. And it's only in Doctor Who terms that we expect writers to become suddenly going from Carnival of Monsters to the Ark in space, mm-hmm. as opposed to sort of saying, oh, yes, I can see Holmes is now developing that <laughs> that particular theme. But all, all interesting writers, I mean, it's like, I mean, watching Russell's career is amazing in that mm. regard. You know, you watch something like Years and Years, mm-hmm. that's turn left. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what he's doing, is, is, and that's how you know he believes in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean I, I trust a writer because if they're sincere, you can see that it's by them. Yeah, yeah. And that they are returning and milking those same passions that they're genuinely concerned about. Yeah. I no don't one's, trust no one's them looking when they just do anything. I just think, oh. Yeah, no no one's looking yeah. at like Samuel Beckett and going, well, it's just a couple of people in a post-apocalyptic well, yeah. scenario talking gobbledygook at each other again. Like, it's like that great show in the galaxy bit where you've got, I think it's it, it's the strong man Nord, and then they say, well, that's really good. Now tell us a joke. Yeah, and the yeah, idea yeah. that you'd say to Samuel Beckett, well, yes, you're writing all these rather strange, <laughs> absurdist plays, but where's your pantomime, yeah, Sam? Yeah. Why haven't you written you a panto yet? And in Doctor it's Who so terms, true. people kind of expect that. People say, well, yes, Stephen can do this, but why isn't he doing a big monster story like Terror of the Zygons? Mm. And, of course, he will eventually try those things, but but you do gravitate to the the forms of writing that you want to try and get right. And you can yeah, see yeah. in those early years of Stephen with Matt Smith, he's trying hard to to get right his stories. Sure. And sometimes they don't quite work, and he can get quite down on them. Uh-huh. Other times you think, oh, right, you've actually done that now. I mean, I think World Enough and Time and The Doctor Falls Amazing is, story. I think that's a masterpiece. Fantastic. And it feels like a summation of what Stephen's been working mm. to for years. Mm. I love that story so much. Really, really good. Yeah, really good. But even some of his early... I saw it in Stephen on Instagram the other day. Um, had been watching The Beast Below. And he and he did a ca- little yeah. caption saying, oh, I've always put this one down. But I just rewatched it and I thought it was really good. Because I was on the show at that point for right, a few months. Right. And I was sent the script. I thought the script was brilliant. And yeah. I, I, I was at a read-through for Beast Below. Uh-huh. And I thought, this is great. And I never... It didn't quite come off because sure. of things because that's what happens but I never thought it was bad no I was always so I think it was because it was the first Stephen episode that went out that was seen to be a disappointment that wasn't a masterpiece right yeah because yeah. you'd had every year mm-hmm. there was a brilliant Stephen Moffat script in Russell seasons yeah and then he did 11th hour which is terrific yeah and everyone thought this is going to be it forever and Beast Below is I think it's a more interesting story than a lot of others mm-hmm. but it doesn't have that same 
feeling of being a masterpiece. It has a feeling of being an interesting, quirky, minor story. Definitely. And that isn't what you wanted at that point from Stephen. So I think he was quite down on it as well for that. But it's a lot better than people often think. But most Doctor Who stories are better than people think, I think. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about Beast Below, I suppose, is that it's the first time that Stephen gets the opportunity to um, to write whatever he wants. Because yeah. before then, he'd either been guided by briefs from Russell or he was writing the season opener, which had its own little set of requirements. Well, I mean, I mean to be fair, I think even with Russell, he was pretty much doing what he wanted. Kind of given a little fr- yeah, a I mean, free... Yeah, well, I mean, Girl in the Fireplace was, you know, the obvious example. You know, he uh-huh. was given Madame de Pompadour and he turned it into a thing about, you know, a spaceship yeah. where, there's a, a, where there's a doorway, where the, you know, in the hall. I mean, all <laughs> of that was Stephen saying, yes, I'm taking your basic... Yeah. Premise, and I'm going to make it almost unrecognisable. He did that. He does that all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I think Stephen has a, has a remarkable gift mm-hmm. at owning what he wants to write. Sure. And he would never, I think, accept a brief. And it was always about how can I make the brief become what I most want to write anyway, which mm-hmm. I think is is what all writers should try and do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, actually. In some ways, I just think that I suspect that You've got that. I mean, I, I I would never do it. I mean, the idea of of having to be in charge of Doctor Who and having to write eight scripts a year or whatever, and and in your first year would be terrifying. But I suspect so you, you that see that happened, as a nightmare rather than a dream. Yeah, it would never be my ambition. I no. mean, you know, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be a certain strange joy one day in coming back. Yeah. But as a guest writer for for for, for some showrunner that I could bully. And, yeah. and and maybe I had something on <laughs> so they'd actually have to employ me. But the idea actually of suddenly being told, right, you now must construct a season. I think for Stephen that was very exciting. But of course he also knows, like Russell did, that you construct a season as a series of peaks and troughs. Yeah. And be you know, and you can't follow episode one by making it a bigger story. No. And I think that that was you know, it's like Amy's choice as well. I mean that's like a designed to be a sort of like a mid season sure, quirky sure. thing. But he knows he's building up eventually to Pandorica opens and Big Bang. So, so how much did you? So when you were working on series one and writing Dalek, how much mm. did how much did you know about what was going to go go on around it? Fair amount. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, partly helped because I knew the other writers. Right. Okay. So you um, could sort of talk to each other and. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we weren't, and that was actually lovely that we we would meet up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I met up with Mark Gators an awful lot because mm-hmm. we were both the first two writers out of the bag. Stephen was still, Paul wasn't in London, but we would phone mm-hmm. once in a while. S- Stephen and I would phone a lot, but he was still writing coupling, I think. He didn't, he, Empty Child was sometime afterwards. Okay. I mean, I remember th- a dreadful, I mean, arrogantly awful conversation I had with Stephen in, in a pub in London once. I'd done about five drafts of Dalek. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting there, he had not started Empty Child yet. I said to him, well, the thing you'll learn about writing Doctor Who, Stephen, is this. <laughs> I remember doing, and, and that was the same day I got a phone call from Juggy Garden telling me we'd, we'd, that we'd lost the Daleks. I mean, Stephen tells a story. He says it was like I came back into the pub and he thought I'd been mugged because <laughs> I was having to walk back to, and, I, and he, he bought, just bought a bottle of wine and we just drank it. And I said, what am I going to do? And he was, oh, and, and no. he, you know, bless him. I mean, he's so much more an experienced TV writer. But, yeah. but again, but why, he why was, was, he was when, concerned. Yeah, when no. you lost the Daleks, why was there never the suggestion of, uh, maybe maybe it was the time thing, but why was there never a suggestion of let's throw this whole 
storyline out of the out of the pot and just bring in something completely different. Well, that's what I was trying to do for a while. Right. I mean, okay. I had this sudden idea of doing an underwater base story. Right. And I approached. I think I spoke to Helen Rayner about it, um, the editor. Right. And she just said, "Yeah, no one seems very convinced that's a good direction to move in." Right. <laughs> I think we didn't have much time. Okay. And I don't know. I think there was also a part of me at that point that. Hadn't quite made the Dalek story work anyway, mm-hmm. and I was suddenly thinking it's all a bit obvious. And I thought this is actually maybe an opportunity to do something a bit wild and different mm. and a bit more comedic because mm. my thing is writing black comedy, and there mm. wasn't much the comedy in Dalek because my first drafts of Dalek were very, you know, weirdly. Weird characters and stuff, which is not right. I mean, mm. Russell would point out quite quickly. He said, "Well, we just want the Dalek in it." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could you just get to the Dalek? <laughs> we don't want these quirky characters <laughs> around because it's just annoying. Sure. And he was right. And I think that I suddenly thought, "Well, I can up, I, I can up my quirk." And I think they just thought, "Let's, let's not have Rob's quirk up." <laughs> so, you know, Russell basically saying. Take take the basic idea. Obviously, the way in which what what the what that toclophane, which was unnamed, uh-huh. um, what well, the impact that that has upon stuff changes entirely how you write it. Mm. But nevertheless, that that sort of basic, quite simple storyline is probably still what we need at this point. So I went away and worked on that, and it was it was okay actually. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not actually a bad script. It's just you know it would never be as good. I mean, you wouldn't be speaking to me now, I think. If I if that had come off, you'd say it would be, I don't know, eighth or ninth in the season poll, and your people say, oh yeah, that's right, that's that's when they, the the whole time war and there were these strange creatures we we find out about at the end of the series. So they were still going with the same time. Yeah, war it, thing, it, it would have been the idea that would have come that, back in the that, last yeah. story as well, right? So the idea was that I mean, part of the fun of it is that it would have been Chris. Chris was raging against the idea that. There were these sudden creatures popped out of nowhere and wiped out the time wars, and he had to, and he wiped them out as well. But he never knew what they were. So a lot right. of the, the actual drama of absence of the Daleks was that, you know, when he actually he finally has to kill it yeah. to save Rose's life, yeah. and, and it's baiting him to kill it because otherwise it will take Rose with. He doesn't want to kill it until he knows what it is, mm. and it's and he's got it, and it's and it's dying, and he says, "Just tell me what you are," and it says. No, don't think so. And it just dies. And it's, and of course, it's the revelation at the end of the series that it's the the human race itself, which is a really nasty, dark. Yeah, idea. well, uh, it's funny. Would have been quite fun because I, um, I was only what ten, nine mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, and I was, and I remember. Obviously, you get the first references to the time war in in End of the World. Yeah, uh, and then, but it's not until episode six, your episode, where yeah. you find out that it was against the Daleks. Yeah. And I remember theorizing with my dad, and my dad was going, "Well, it's got to be that we know there's Daleks coming. It's got to be the yeah. Daleks." And yeah. and I I hadn't even thought of that. And I thought in my head of, "Oh, I bet it's humans." Oh and, God! Um, I don't know why this well, innocent nine-year-old thought that. That makes you rather clever, Molly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I, I, I I think it's a really great twist, actually, that it would be. The yeah, humans. I mean, it was a great it's, twist when it happened in when they it used also it again, isn't I suppose, in series three. But it's quite as action filmic. As I think, and it's I think it's more cerebral, kind of yeah, and and, and it, it's a sort yeah. of idea that you can think of, and you think if we'd done that at that point, mm. would we still have a show now? Probably, actually, because I think it was such a tremendous hit from the oh, word yeah. go. But having the Daleks when we did, you know, and again, 
I'm I'm able to to ride on that as if it were all me. And so mm. I I love about going to conventions still as people come up to me and thank me and you think, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just the lucky guy who got to do it. <laughs> this was not this was not my my um. My, I didn't say to them, I've got this wonderful idea, guys, <laughs> about how to save the show. Well, let's, no, put, but let's put the darks in episode you, six. You, yeah, in a, sure. in yeah. a way, like, I suppose it says a lot that that when Russell uh, was thinking about how to bring the Daleks back, he, he thought of your big finish yeah, no, no, I mean, straight I mean, away. Wonderful compliment. Came to you. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, I think he'd heard Jubilee and yeah. he'd heard other big finishes I'd done and just said... Well, I mean, he hadn't met me before, but they commissioned me without meeting me, which was incredibly kind looking yeah. back. And yeah. really unlikely, because you expect to have a meeting, at least, a, sure. sort of, a sort of interview. And I couldn't believe it when my agent told me. I, I said, but you must mean that I'm going to go and meet them. Mm-hmm. She said, no, 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 you're, you're, you're down to do episode six. And again, having not met anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. so I spent a lot of the first month on the, on the show still thinking. Just pinching yourself, really. Well, they're going to, yeah. And also thinking, but they're going to change their minds. <laughs> I'll get a phone call soon and say, you know, oh, um, we thought you were Lance Parkin. Or <laughs> some other, you know, really, really, really skillful writer sure. who was writing Doctor Who stuff in the wilderness years and they'd say oh we thought you were Lawrence Miles and I'd say oh yeah I'm not and they'd say no we've, we've just worked that out <laughs> could you now go away and, I'd, and I would have said yes of course I mean what they didn't realise at the time and I probably shouldn't say and I'm glad I didn't say at the time was if they'd said, said to me you know can we just adapt Jubilee but you but not but not not by you I'd have said sure yeah I would have said yes of course I, I'd have been very nice about it I wouldn't have thought no it has to be me who does it I'm just lucky that they assumed I did. Yeah, but would another have understood have understood the things that about that story that story that were translatable and the things that weren't? Yeah, and, and it was the realization. It's not really an adapta- adaptation. It, yeah, of that I mean, story it, anyway. actually, although I think Russell thought that. I mean, it's in that first meeting we had when we suddenly realized that virtually nothing from Jubilee could be mm. adapted because it's, it, it's it was scene, totally totally it? wrong. In, in yeah, it, it becomes and even it, that is really. It different. becomes basically the concept of of a single Dalek that is being tortured mm. and it has to break out and 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 you're learning about it through it being vulnerable. Yeah. And that's, but that's also, you know, I mean, but they've used that several times. But you're learning about the Doctor as well, right? Yeah. What's amazing is that, is that that's obviously, I'd say one of two or three scenes for Chris's Doctor where people go, well, that's, yeah. that's the amazing Chris. He's Eccleston really good scene. in that. And, great. and I remember when I first saw that, I, I was really shocked because it wasn't, oh, I think, quite how I'd written it. Right. Because cause you write the Doctor, even if you're not intending to, yeah. in a sort of strangely... Um, those sort of sequences, he's always quite sort of um, aloof. Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, it's, it's like he's playing with these monsters. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, hello, Dalek. You know, hey, here I am." Just how Colin does it in Jubilee. Yeah, and but, but what, yeah, what I was going to say was that was kind of co- for Colin's Doctor, mm. who wasn't necessarily the best received Doctor on screen. No, that that's one of the big finish scenes that people po- pick out and go, "Well, if you want some really great Colin Baker, yeah, which is really really nice." Jubilee. So. Yeah, and uh, and Chris, yeah, Chris I mean, goes great fun goes to mental. write. I mean, really was great fun to write. That, that bit of uh, saliva on his lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, we, talk it was about. The, you know, the, the, the why don't why don't you just die bit? Yeah, which uh, and, and he gobs over his chin, and <laughs> and, and Joe Ahern saying, you know, we yeah. could we could do a retake, and Chris said no. Nope. He's, he's got he's a very ugly doctor in this scene, or whatever he said. I mean, bless him. I mean, I mean, Chris really worked hard at that episode. I mean, he was so good to work with. Mm. because, again, it would be so easy not to have gone down that route. With yeah, it. yeah. But Chris just committed to Dalek in a really big way. I think he really liked the episode, actually. Right. 
I didn't get to meet Chris much until afterwards. I mean, yeah. I've met him a few times since, but he was always, you know, what was obvious was that he was just saying, no, this is for me. I take this terribly seriously, this episode. Yeah. And it was, I mean, thank God, because it just, it, it sort of dignifies me. It's wonderful. God, it, it paid off. It's, yeah, what a brilliant scene. I'm very, very proud of it. Yeah. yeah. What? Well, yeah, what an iconic scene. Should yeah. we move on to unpopular yes, opinions? Yes, of course. Because I'm looking at the clock and uh, we've no, no, been we talking to do for that. a long time. I've been very um, self-indulgent. No, no, I loved it. I love every minute of it. Do you both realise the enormous risk? We do. We still want to go. Please, Doctor. Very well. Follow me. But you must follow my instructions implicitly. Understood? Implicitly! both have about a 50-50 chance. Follow me. Well, yeah, I mean, it is, it is controversial. But yeah. I do kind That's of what we're here believe for. this, <laughs> that Doctor Who should have ended when Ian and Barbara left. <laughs> because for me, that would have made it perfect. Right. And I, and I really do feel this, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that the show starts and its obvious point is it's about these two school teachers come on board and yeah. their their presence humanizes this strange alien acerbic man mm-hmm. who can't get them home and they have a series of adventures and eventually the irony is is that they don't he doesn't get them home but they are able to go home via the the the, the capsule of of their dominant monsters that they've seen at yeah. the beginning and the middle and the end of their time on the show, which mm. is a wonderful structure to it. True, true. And that's, you know, and everyone sort of learnt from the experience. And Ian and Barbara go back and they've now presumably fallen in love in a way that you can tell wasn't really there in an unearthly child. Mm. And, you know, Susan has left, but the Doctor has realised that that's part of the process of, of, of going. Of growing. And, and the yeah. Doctor has changed. And, and you've had along the way this incredible range of stories in a way that the show has never really done properly in this quite the same way since. You've had comedies and mm. weird stories and science fiction dramas and, and morality tales and these great historicals. And it's like the whole series microcosm is in those 16 stories. But the point of it is so perfect that it's about getting these school teachers home. And I always feel, and of course, I'm not really saying that I wish Doctor had been cancelled because we've had some good stories since, <laughs> since the chase. I mean, even the chase, I mean, no one likes the chase, but you know what, if the chase were the final story, and it was that sort of strange potpourri effect with comedy bits and the Daleks, and it feels actually like it. This is this is the f- way to go out. This is this yeah, is yeah, this yeah. is like the last story, the chase. The fact that it isn't the last story. Next week you get the Time Meddler. I mean, I I, I love the Time Meddler. I love Dennis Spooner, but I can't watch the Time Meddler without thinking, why? But, we, but we, if we're you're going gonna, in the wrong yeah, direction. But if you're gonna move on, yeah. After after that ending of the chase, yeah. surely the time meddler a story which opens up the possibilities of what the show oh, can do absolutely. in such a fantastic way I mean, is no, the way to go it's sort of like no, no. okay here's the sequel here's what we're doing now yeah I mean don't get me wrong I think the time meddler is gorgeous yeah. I love the fact that it happens to be you know the very first story after the purpose of the series has been kind of stopped yeah we get and the it finds I- a new purpose right? yeah yeah we get the idea of another member of the doctor's race and it mm. changes it also into something which is a bit more comedic and a bit more yeah i mean i love all that but i still can't help but feel that when i watched the time matter episode one you think it's like they haven't realized that it's it's like you know if you were doing quantum leap mm. 
and then Sam, what's his name, gets home. But the series carries on anyway. And you think, well, hang on, it was about that, wasn't it? Or if you do an X-Files episode where they yeah. find that they've, that they've got the existence of aliens and something, and then it, it's still, well, mind you, they, they actually did do that for quite a long time. But, the, but there does feel a certain, a certain perfect structure. Yeah, I suppose it's any stories. sequel, isn't it? Like, any, like lots of sequels yeah. have, that, have that sort of um, problem of the story's been told, it's been resolved, yeah, and, and then you've got to find something else to do. Like, and, and, I, and yeah. I genuinely think it takes an awfully long time for the show to quite find a purpose again Okay, after the chase. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I really love a lot of... I mean, my favourite black and white story is, is uh, the, the Myth Makers, which mm. is the series later. But I still feel that it's strange. I think it, it, it feels strangely driftless, even though I... I mean, my favourite doctor is Patrick Troughton, but it doesn't have a purpose any longer no. for a very, very long time until actually you get to Pertwee, and that that purpose that you get in those in those first two beautiful seasons. I mean, they have bad stories in because it's Doctor Who, but mm. but they're still beautiful because it's part of that of that wonderful single-minded mystery. Yeah, and, and that adventure, and you never you're did the main cast feel so designed again. No, that's right. I mean? Until until I suppose, like almost like series one in two thousand five. Yeah, never uh, it's a similar then, thing. Did you get that? Okay, how do we make this story work? Okay, you've got this doctor character, you've got yeah. Susan and the and the two and teachers, actually, and also like in a sort of new series ish way, you never get a sense ever again. Really, I mean, I mean, for example, I mean, I, mean, I love Sarah Jane Smith. Mm. Everyone does, um, but I don't believe that she's a different character, particularly from the Time Warrior to the Hand of Fear. She's just, I mean, I don't think she's not changed really, by it. Not really, no. Um, and, and you get occasional moments when companions leave, mm. that they talk in a, in a breath about how, how they've been changed. You think, hey, no, you haven't been. I'm sorry, Nissa. I'm glad you're going off <laughs> now to, to help cure people who are diseased, and that's, and that's great. But I don't believe for a moment that, that that was actually a change of character for you until you've said that mm, at the end. Mm. Um, at Lilo at the end of Invasion of Time, you think, well, I don't think you've, and, and that's a character that there was an attempt, I think, mm-hmm. of of an idea. I think you really get the sense that everybody, in in a very very clever way, in those in that first two season mm-hmm. bubble, mm-hmm. Um, that it feels actually like it feels like an arc in a way that you don't get again until the new series deliberately says. Well, that's what yeah. modern I mean, television I s- is. I suppose in the late eighties they give it a go with with Ace a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and, and again, I'm not really criticising because that's what the show became. I don't think it's a bad thing. In fact, no. because it becomes a big anthology show, mm. and and I love anthology shows. I mm. love the Twilight Zone. Um, I just feel that you know, and and again, I mean, I'm not genuinely wanting to wipe out everything <laughs> after ta- after after the chase, but I do feel that it's a funny thing. Because I, because I'm a big structure nerd. Yeah, I, I yeah. love structure, mm-hmm. and I, I love the cleverness of structure. And even accidentally, those first two seasons, as I say, with the Dalek, the Daleks returning, you know, being in in it three times. Yeah, at very the, key points. At very very key points within that journey. Yeah. Um, and Susan Which will leaving have just at the end of the second. Oh yeah, sure, with I mean, contracts Susan, ending at the right time. Susan leaving at the end yeah. of 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 the exact middle section. Yeah, yeah. Um, where where they're going through and mm-hmm. you know all those really big things i mean th- it really feels like a like a wonderful single story yeah which i think in its own way i mean I, you know if they had stopped it at that point obviously we wouldn't be here now and no. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't probably be remembered 
remotely and why would we be discussing it? But it would have been strangely perfect. It would have been this strange two-year running series which was one basic story without any individual story titles. Mm. It would have been just one story which was about all of the invention of how to tell stories. Yeah, I suppose would we even split them up? I suppose we wouldn't even do anything because we wouldn't talk about it. No, it would be a, what, 77 episode miniseries adventure from, yeah, through yeah. all of time and space and it yeah. would have been gorgeous and also the actual bravery at the time but that i mean it causes problems now and i understand why but i think that when you look at um what the hartnell series is doing anyway mm. about the fact that you would have expected in 1963 when they say we're going to do lots of historical adventures yeah that they'd, they'd all be English history based. Mm, mm. The fact that they're none of them are. Really. Yeah, and obviously, as you say, that causes its own problems. It, it causes problems uh, later, but but always yeah. for, for the right reasons. The fact that the, what they're saying is we're going to analyse the Aztecs. Yeah, and we're going to go to do Marco Polo, and of course they're doing it in the 1960s way. So you have chari- you have actors playing what we now would no longer find acceptable. Mm. But the imagination behind it is actually terribly um, progressive yeah. in a way that you would not have expected. I'd have thought that everything would be genuinely Spanish Armada, which was mentioned. Yeah. Kings and Queens of England. Yeah. Henry VIII. What they do instead is they're doing, in the Hartnell years, but also they're doing the massacre of Bartholomew. I mean, who would have chosen yeah, these yeah, times? Yeah, so true. And it, and actually, it, that's reflected like um, in in what we're getting now. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the historicals last year. Um, yeah. Something like Demons of the Punjab. Yeah. Is not the sort of um, event like the partition of India is not the sort of event that would immediately spring to mind as a no a, as a ab- absolutely and, and I think that that's interesting and bold yeah definitely um, and 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 similar to what they were trying to do in the in the sixties in an interesting sort of way yeah um, and and I think having some of the same problems as well to be honest yeah. which is that I mean what they had to learn with Doctor Who quite quickly was that the idea of being a bystander for history does rob the characters of this all is agency the big, this is the big problem yeah and yeah. and although i you know um i think there's lots to enjoy in i shouldn't be saying this really but in you know i think which is really well written i think punjab is really well written you mm. know the i think the problem is that i keep on thinking but what i really want now is a sense that you can actually speak up against this rather than be saying oh well come on fam we're going to just stand around and watch terrible things happen and then go back sad yeah. because then you're thinking well what what sort of show is this? Mm. Spectating isn't very exciting. No, and they're gorgeous episodes in some ways, but I but but they learnt that doing the Hartnell stuff. You know, you've I got was going to say, like, is that what they learn? Yeah, know, and, and, you, and you know, by the time that you get to Dennis Spooner with the Romans, mm. they're, ki- they're kicking against the faded reign of terror the year before, and he mm. realised, well, the end of my story was having them in a bar meeting Napoleon briefly, and Robespierre's <laughs> being taken off by other people and yeah, yeah. you think well if I can't get involved in the story why am I telling the story mm, mm. and the doctor needs to be I Definitely. think a very you know that's what the historical things have to be is they have to be a bit more proactive yeah. and there are certain historical contexts like Which something like Rosa where it would not be appropriate which is why you question okay is it worth telling the story and I'd mm. say yes it is but be aware of not doing other stories where where you're doing historical stuff in a non-proactive way. When, for example, in Witchfinders, this sounds like I'm just being bitching now, but but I don't see what the moral dilemma is when the doctor, it cuts to the doctor thinking, shall I save this woman from drowning or not? Mm -hmm. There is no moral dilemma. And she hesitates, 
I shout and get my for uh, God's uh, sake, jump in and save jump, her because th- that comes after week after week of, of like you say, spectating. Um, so I was, I mean, uh, yeah. it's the way in which actually it should have been a gag. She should have been saying to the to companions, Now, I remember we're back in history. Oh, yes, that's right, mustn't interfere. Where's the doctor gone? Oh my god, she's already trying to save yeah, yeah, that yeah. woman from drowning. That's definitely, what they do, definitely. And the problem is, I mean, and and they'll do that. It's just that it's it's odd to see them in some ways reinventing the wheel with that. Yeah. But I think for the but, but actually it's it's but it's tonally different, and that's interesting. Yeah. Um. And and they will, you know. I mean, these are these are difficult things to work out. Yeah. Um. I mean, any uh, early days of any. And regime. it's always easy to be on the outside saying that. I mean, oh, totally. I, mean, I can look back at you know my my little contribution now with mm-hmm. with with so many critical notes about wrong directions taken so it's very easy to be doing the same thing with other people's definitely but but yeah so um back to the hartnell (laughs) stuff sorry rather than um Uh, dissing other writers which i don't like doing Um, yeah where were we uh no yeah i I suppose what i was gonna because you mentioned something about being a a structuralist and yeah yeah i love structure structure. and and i sort of feel the same way um but i suppose what i like about doctor who overall is that it sort of manages to hack that for me? Yeah, and it's in inve- and there's, it's a format that manages to escape being a format. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and the fact that you're able to do anything means that it means that it can be this well, show that well, has well, this lots is of structures within it and lots. Yeah, of I mean, I mean, this is the first thing about it. The yeah. reason why I fell in love with Doctor Who when I did mm. was it was precisely the right season mm. be- because season nineteen is so incredibly varied in tone and style actually in yeah. a way that does reflect back to seasons one and two mm-hmm. because you know if i'd come into the show two three years earlier yeah they are tonally similar yeah. or god for, forbid the troughton years where it's a base yeah. of the siege and, for and six weeks at a time absolutely then a, then a you slightly know, different base of the siege for another i mean seven and weeks. doctor who basically was doing that yeah. I mean, you know what you had throughout the 60s and the 70s most of the time was a sense of this is the house style. Mm-hmm. The house style will change in a couple of years, and we can see that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, I love Philip Hinchcliffe stuff, but it is, it isn't. There isn't much tonal variation. Whereas what's no, bizarre about no. the Davison years, and I was twelve years old and falling in love with it, was you could go from Black Orchid to Earthshock. Mm. You could go from Snake Dance to Morgan Undead. Two of my favourite stories. I love Snake Dance so mm-hmm. much, and I love Morgan Undead so much. And and yet these are side by side, and that would not have happened in other years. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in a funny way, I mean, I'm arguing against myself. What I love about Doctor Who later on is that is when it breaks that and just says, yeah. we don't need to be a structured thing. But I still find a beauty within within the care of that structure. Yeah, and you can do beginning. both at once, I suppose. It, it, because you've got, I mean, like you said, with with seasons one and, one and two, yeah. you've got that... Um, that variation of every week is yeah, and, 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 and in, within and in, that yeah. structure. And the same is true once you get to series one in, in 2005. And, 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 and you're talking part, about selling it to the Americans. It's part of my, yeah, it's part of my trouble actually again with, with the black and white years at that stage is that when you reach the time meddler, mm. I'm not sure what else they've got to do except what they've done in those 16 stories. So you yeah, get, yeah. you get, you know, you get, there are stories that they haven't told, but yeah. the, but but they tend Don't they to be. they find it though by doing these you know, smugglers and Highlanders? Are, I mean, they're both gorgeous, but they're yeah. both kind of the same, and you have done this before. Whereas I would argue that every one of those sixteen stories that Ian and Barbara are in all actually feel like they're telling a different type of story, and, different. and then they do something yeah. else. And Time Murder Galaxy Four, you think, yeah, we we have kind of seen stories already. 
like this. I suppose, and, and yeah. You, and you're seeing re, um, repeats of the formula, often better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, and Troughton too. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, as I say, I, I love the Troughton years. I, I mean, some of those stories, I think the War Games and I think Power of the Daleks. I, 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 God, they're so good. And at the same time, they they're not necessarily the selective story that you put into those top in, into the 16 that you would do to showcase yes, Ian and Barbara. Yes, I suppose the difference is that you could have the the way Doctor Who worked in those Ian and Barbara years is you could you could have run the show in that way for 25 years and it would have been fine. Yeah. You could have done yeah. each week is a different thing, historical, uh, you know, sci-fi whatever, whereas the Troughton model that that did not have longevity in it. No. So you couldn't you couldn't have run that for, no, for it's more exactly. Than a few and I think years you look at it, it now. That's why they had to change it. In the it's in extraordinary it even survived it. Really, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I and again, I love those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think individually they're often gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I, th- I mean, watching them in context, you begin to realise that they are the same thing, and it does feel actually like it's after that sort of strange, fra- you know, the uh, and after Verity Lambert goes, there is a boldness. I don't think always comes off from John Wiles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is trying to do something to say, well, let's do something which feels, it, it feels more cynical. It feels a bit darker and a bit more unpleasant, which strangely enough, you'd have thought because of, you know, because of what I like, I would like, but in some ways I find a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And yet when you're, when you're hitting the Troutons, you are thinking, yeah, I mean, this is, this is very enjoyable, but it will just fizzle out. And of course it does. That's what's so odd is that the fact that it gets, they get the John Pertwee renewal seems so much against the grain of what they really ought to have done. It ought to have just stopped, yeah. really, then as well. But but in a, in a sense, they did because the the, the Pertwee, yeah, the, those Pertwee years are so different yeah. to what Trout was doing that it's sort of like they just they've just gone okay, we're sort of backdoor cancelling this. And yeah, replacing and it series. with a different show yeah. that just happens to have and they don't, a guy in it called not, the Doctor. Not unlike Russell, actually, what happens is is that a few years down the line, you recognise it is the same show. Mm. So mm. That by the time you're getting to things like, you've got Day of the Daleks doing a sort of sop to it. By the time you get to things like The Three Doctors, it feels like, oh, okay, I can genuinely believe yeah, yeah, that yeah. season eight and season seven are part of the same show as season four and season five. Yeah. It takes, in the same way that, I mean, I, I remember a lot of fans being very on, online at, at Outpost Gallifrey, which you know, I used to frequent a bit at the time, genuinely denying for quite a few years that Russell's show was a continuation and not right, a reboot. Right. Because they refused to say, well, you know, and we said, well, it is. I said, no, because we spent so long on that show wanting to make it clear that it, you know that it wasn't just a sort of, mm. um, you know that it that it felt fresh. Yeah, yeah. But a few years down the line, you realise that all of this slots in. Sure. And yeah, and the Pertwee stuff does the same thing, really. It's um, yeah. Yeah, mm. but you can make it. I, I guess that that that's the beauty of it is that you can make. Is that everything slots in when the history is so rich? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like in it's like in the in the early days when we were we were still questioning whether McGann counted. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which even in the first couple now. of series of New Who, there was a few of us still a bit like, oh yeah, but does McGann really count? Like, yeah. And now it just seems ridiculous that you wouldn't count him because I think as fans we more accept the the craziness of it all and the fact that it's all so varied. 
Yeah. That we're just happy to go like, yeah, why not? I mean, it's part There's of the so reason why there was a, there was, I thought there'd be a bigger upset about John Hurt than there was. Right, yeah. Because I, I knew a bit in advance and I thought, Ooh, yeah, that's going to be I mean, maybe difficult. because it's John Hurt and... But actually, it, so it, it made it interesting. Yeah. I really loved the fact that there's another incarnation inserted and we just Definitely. didn't know. And where else could you do it? But in the in the gap between classic Yeah, and it's the only who, place you could put it, really. It's a really clever idea. Yeah. But I do think it would... I think people don't often like their idea of continuity being upset very much. So the idea that... I mean, I know people are upset with Day of the Doctor because it seemed to them to be spoiling a retcon somehow or yeah but yeah and of course actually it, it is sort of because it wasn't but but it also is the only way that you can proceed because yeah i mean stephen's concern for years i remember chatting about it and was he was saying well it's fine when it was like a big MacGuffin that we would ignore but it's always there yeah and you have to ask questions like what do, what do you mean he killed all the time lords yeah i mean what about all the children <laughs> And he'd be right. Sure, yeah. No. Say, if you don't look at it, it's fine. It's like a backstory. But the more that... It, the same thing happened when the BBC books destroyed Gallifrey. Mm, mm. And they thought, right, we'll, 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 we'll destroy Gallifrey and we'll wipe his mind and we'll just do a reboot. And of course, as time goes by, it's all about when we get his memories back mm. and when will Gallifrey be be brought back. It was going to happen eventually. It has to right? happen because it's eventually it just becomes this... Trim the elephant in the room becomes so big yeah that actually the absence of it becomes like a huge presence yeah and so i think Stephen addressing it in the anniversary special was really brave but, but yeah good. but then he almost does that thing again because the the whole thing at the end of day of the doctor is oh well he's got to now find gallifrey it's in this pocket yeah. universe thing and fans then thought oh well now that's the story for the next few yeah, years yeah I, I thought so too and yeah. uh and, and yeah me too and then he Stephen moffat does this brilliant thing of going to gallifrey like Two seasons later. In Hellbent. And yeah. yeah, in Hellbent and just doing a different story. Yeah, and it not being about Which that. is so fantastic. And, and yeah, a funny thing, I remember Hellbent attracting a fair amount of... Yeah, I mean, it's one of the of stories when I was dismay. talking earlier about not um, about hating the stories and now loving yeah. them. That's, that's the main one that I really used to not like. Because I really I've, love Hellbent. I've really, I've really turned around really on it now. I, I think it's a it. really clever piece of work, but it's also frustrating. It, it is a deliberately frustrating piece mm. of television, mm. which is brave in itself. Because you get all that huge build up to the idea that you're now back on Gallifrey, yeah, and he, and he, and he does deal with it, yeah, for the first ten minutes, <laughs> and you think, well, that's the story I wanted. You say, well, no, I've done that now. I'm now moving on. Sure. And you think, well, what? I thought that was in my in your head after Day of the Doctor. That's your two season arc. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He says that doesn't interest me very much. But I'm going to do this amazing thing where I confront Rassilon. Yeah. And, that, and he's drawing all the lines. I mean, all that stuff is great. It's amazing, though, to look at the parallel, though, between that and Bad Wolf Parting of the Ways. Yeah. Because with, with Hellbent, as you just said, that the, um, the, I suppose the, the, the carpet under the, the legs is, is, a, is the fact that, oh, we're doing this big mythological thing. Yeah. Oh, no, we're not. It's actually a, a sort of pseudo love story between yes. the Doctor and Clara. Yeah. And, but what Russell did in 2005 was. Oh, this is what you're used to. It's Big Brother. It's Weakest Link. It's it's what the televisual landscape is yeah. in 2005. Oh no, it's a big science fiction story. Yeah, about I know. The which is, so he sort really of incredible. did the opposite. They sort of ended up doing the opposite thing. Doctor Who changed the televisual landscape to the extent yeah, that yeah. they they did a swap I mean, a Rooney. I, I, that, I, I think I Russell's brilliance is also that way. Yeah. That it's sometimes genuinely hard to remember when you're watching those season finales. Mm. That, for example, that you began a story with ghosts in EastEnders, and yet you end with 
roast being yeah, sucked yeah, into yeah, other yeah, universe yeah. and you've had Dykes and Cybermen. Sure. I mean, that's, and that's only over But it's not about that, that one's not about Dykes and Cybermen. No, that's, that no, of sort course. of does the Hellbent thing. It's about, it's about roses. Being about Rose and Same thing about Bad Wolf. And, I, mean, I remember when Bad Wolf was um, previewed and pe- that's when people said, well, this is where I finally had enough. You know, the doctor in the Big Brother house, I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> and of course, all they remember from the story now is that's the one which kills off Eccleston and it's the biggest Dalek invasion. How much did you know about um, that story that where the Daleks were coming back when you were doing your Dalek story? Not much. No. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, even the Bad Wolf thing, I mean, that which sort of got fed in, which mm. is quite funny. I mean, I got, I think, I'm probably wrong because I don't know much at all. I remember that the first time I actually really heard about Bad Wolf mm. was when it was a bit of graffiti on the yeah, set. Yeah, I think that's the fir- that was the first use of it production-wise. Yeah, and yeah. It, then Russell wrote to us all saying, hmm, I've got an idea. Why don't you seed the words Bad Wolf into your script somewhere? And we'd say, and I said, well, I, I remember in my case, I said, well, what do you mean? Say, Just put it in somewhere. I said, well... What, what 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 for is it? I don't know. He said, "I'll, I'll work it out later." And it, <laughs> in, if you look at my one, yeah. which, I, to be honest, I think Russell probably put it in himself eventually. I don't know that I put it in. It's that helicopter one, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. I mean, that's not even Rose isn't even there at the time. <laughs> I mean, how can that be like a reminder to Rose? However, you know, it's just the fact he's got a helicopter called Bad Wolf One. Yeah. And it's this funny thing that when I went to see Parting of the Ways at BAFTA. Mm. And I knew Chris was leaving, but I'd not seen the scripts because I'd already left, really. I mean, I was just thrilled by the fact that Russell had this plan, but he didn't need to tell us all of the plan. I mean, I I found Mm -hmm. that the oddest thing, again, when I was in his house trying to work out what we should do about, you know, the missing Dalek stuff. And he was obvious at that point that he had plans for the next two years. Mm. He didn't know that we were going to even get commissioned again. No, no, no. Because we hadn't made it at this point. We hadn't made a single episode at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's this bizarre thing that I think he kept his cards close to his chest to work out what it is he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You can see, you know, when things you got like Journey's End, it's so obvious in retrospect that this is when he thinks David is leaving. And this is when he thinks he's going. Yeah, yeah. Because he does that whole walk down thing with all the characters, but he gets David shot by a dark. And he, you can imagine he spends the entire episode forcing back through generation and then leaves at the end of, 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 of the story. You can see entirely how all these things have been planned for ages mm, mm. but then they can be frustrated and changed yeah um but but we wouldn't know very much i mean i knew did you know before the, the public about that chris was going no, it, no. no, no I, I, I had to come out quite a while I, I don't i don't know what happened there right i know that you know he, i know he was having problems yeah yeah um, i think his autobiography is which I've not read yet, is making that yeah, clear. Yeah, it, it came out, did it come out last week? Was it come out this yeah, week? Yeah, I mean, I've not seen it yet. Um, yeah. I know it was at the National Theatre yesterday, which is where I usually work. Yeah. Um, I, so I, did, I didn't see him, though, um, doing a, re- a reading and a presentation mm, from it. Mm. But um, no, I mean, that wasn't anything that we had to worry about. We were just... No, no, I suppose not. We were I the writers. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't know about Chris being cast until he was cast. I didn't know about Biggie being and cast. And you, had you already written the bulk of it before? Oh, Chris several drafts in. You know, wow. I, I remember actually, you know, in that awful way, I wrote to Russell about Biggie Piper weeks before she was cast, saying, you won't believe the rumours, Russell. <laughs> They're going to cast this Biggie, you know, you've heard of Biggie Piper, the, the pop singer? They're going to cast her. <laughs> and he wrote back and said, oh, the idea. That's so funny. <laughs> and of course they did. And of course she's brilliant. And yeah, and, and, and I, and this is awful, to, and I, you know, I feel embarrassed saying it, and I went to the first read-through mm. for Rose and Aliens of London, mm. 
and I went up to Cardiff, you know, that, that morning, and I thought in my head, I bet she's going to be terrible. And I was writing Dark and thinking, and I was quite annoyed. I thought, oh, I didn't know we were, we were going to get Biggie Piper. <laughs> and then she was so good yeah. at the read-through. She was stunning. Yeah. And Chris and Biggie had, I don't think, met before, or maybe had very briefly, but, mm. but the spark between the two of them was... I mean, it was extraordinary. And they had virtually the whole BBC there. Yeah. The room stank because I think somebody like Jane Tranter was on Atkins. So everybody else was also on the Atkins diet. So there was, there was lots of strange meat Oh, so, the, so bad for you. Yeah, but that was what diet. was in vogue at the time. Yeah. But it was this huge room and they'd all come to Cardiff to see this. And everybody left convinced this was going to be an amazing show. It was a very important day. Yeah. But it was also Billy's first... I mean, you just... She must have known that she had to prove stuff to everyone, Yeah, absolutely. And she was so good. Yeah, she must have known what her reputation was amongst... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know she'd done some... She'd done Canterbury Tales and was very good in that. I'd not seen it at the time. Yeah. But again, I mean, the fact that I went in there Mm. as this chauvinistic git... Yeah, because there is is a gender element. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. But also just... But just assuming that because she was a pop singer, she wouldn't really be an yeah, actress. Yeah. And I mean, I, got, yeah, I mean, how awful even to tell you now about it. In a similar way, I remember when they told me that Catherine Tate was, was going to be all of series four. And I thought, what, really? Oh, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be terrible. And again, she, she was brilliant. My God, she was amazing. Yeah, I, we, we've learned that lesson because it's happened so many times. We had it with, with Billy. We had it with Catherine Tate. We had it with... Um, with Again with Matt Lucas, absolutely. Actually. Who I and thought he was, was, brilliant. was delightful. Yeah, and, yeah, and then yeah. With the last time was Bradley Walsh, and yeah, who's, and who I think is who is great. In the th- but but the, the last time I thought when when Bradley Walsh was cast, uh, my, my uh, you know my life flashed before my eyes. Before I was about to say, oh my god, Bradley Walsh, and I remembered Billy Piper, I remember Catherine Tate, and I remember Matt Lucas, and I thought actually, no, yeah, I trust them. Yeah, and, 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 and you yeah. have to just go with it. Yeah. You know? and, and this is, I mean, I, I, it dates for me back to Curse of Fenric when mm. they cast Nicholas Parsons. Mm. I remember the time, Doctor Who, he's got really, I was, I was 18. Oh, it's just rubbish. They cast Nicholas Parsons in it. <laughs> and he was superb, you know, and, and that often happens. You, 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 you cannot predict. Sometimes the guest stars you put into episodes will be unpredictably amazing. Sometimes they will be disappointing yeah you, you just don't you can't know no. you have to assume that the casting directors yeah, you have people, to tr- i mean and andy price never really put a foot no on. you know you have to just uh, you know let them do their jobs yeah i mean matt smith oh. i mean um aka I, the best doctor who who was extraordinary <laughs> but i mean who would have necessarily guessed that i mean i didn't know no. um, because they always gave you very very tight i mean you know stephen would not tell us I, I found out it was Matt Smith at the same time everyone else did. But I remember when Matt was cast, and I, I felt a sort of anticlimactic sense of, well, I've no idea who he is. Yeah, he looks very thing. young. Yeah. Oh, well. And I met Matt um, at a read-through for the 11th hour, I think. And he bounded up and was introduced, you know, saying, oh, I'm Matt. He said, have you seen Team of the Cybermen? It's amazing. Because <laughs> he'd been watching them. Yeah. Yeah. And he was so, and he, he's really tall. I didn't know. You don't think he's that no, tall? No, I wouldn't have thought of him. Nobody as tall. he really is. He's six foot two or something. So he dwarfed me. Yeah. And I just thought I didn't know he was that tall. Or yeah. No, he, he, for some reason, his performance makes you believe that, that he's, he's smaller because he's making himself into like a little child half the time. That's amazing. <coughs> but no, he's um because Jenna Coleman's so small as well. Yeah. yeah. You would think that he would absolutely dwarf her, but well, he but and, and of course, in, in real life, she, she's only three foot one. <laughs> I mean, she's much smaller than you even realise. I mean, if you see her, you think she's a football. Um, 
No, I sh- I've never met Jenna. No. So I, I, I can say that. I've never been in a room with Jenna. So I'm, I'm assuming she's probably three foot one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's the odd thing. I mean, because I, I wasn't down on that. And no, I thought no. that would be very rude. But... And I, and thought, I suppose yeah. you trusted um, like trust Stephen's judgment and Andy Price. But also, judgment. everyone gets so worried about the casting of a new Doctor yeah, yeah, all yeah. the time, and you and everyone gets very apprehensive because it means so much to them. I mean, we all do that because 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 it matters so much to us. Mm. That's the difficulty mm. is you start overanalyzing before it's even gone out. Yeah, um, and sometimes you're right to be worried. Sometimes you're not. But you know, it's that's the thing which I've learned over the years I suppose having worked on it as well as you just think well they'll they'll will make be, mistakes be. but yeah. they'll but they'll try and the the joy of it you know if, if one is not necessarily enjoying the Jodie Whittaker seasons mm-hmm. and I'm not myself a massive fan if mm-hmm. I'm honest but you know what that's the point of the show is that it's not always going to be for you yeah, and definitely. you know it will become something else again later mm-hmm. and I think actually it's often more interesting when it isn't giving you precisely what you think you want. Mm, mm. I mean, I, 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 I get a lot from not being spoon-fed my particular type of Doctor Who story. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I always watch it and I always have that battle with it. And I think it's always worse. It always seems... Like, if you think episodes are bad, they always seem worse on broadcast. So there's loads of stories on yeah. broadca- broadcast. I was panicking watching them. So, like, something like, not that I think this is a bad story, but mm. something like what we were talking about before with The Magician's Apprentice. Yeah. I was, prob- I was probably watching that at the time in a bit of a panicked state, like, worried about the ratings, yeah. like, worried about what other people would think. And now I'm able to watch it four years down the line. Well, yeah, I, it, and it's just, And just enjoy it for what it is. And well, I think I'll be like that with Jodie's stuff. I, th- I think the awkwardness in part is that we, as fans, approach Doctor Who less like an artistic experience more like it's a football team that we're supporting. <laughs> yeah, so so we worry a lot about, about how it's been perceived by the people, about, yeah. about how the ratings are, about how... Well, in fact, we, what we ought to do, actually, is just sit back. And, I mean, heaven sent, I know a lot of people who don't like that because it wasn't... People people were baffled by it. It wasn't mm. a popular one with the audience at large. I just think, I don't care. I it's think brilliant. the Doctor Who's joy is yeah. that at this stage, it shouldn't have to worry necessarily about whether everyone goes with it or not. It's just the fact that it's still doing it and it's not having to mm-hmm. chase scoring 10 goals yeah, yeah. and then getting further up the the, uh, the premiership. It doesn't matter now. I think that it's 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 at its best when it actually takes the risks to be perhaps less popular. Yeah. And um, But we worry about it an awful lot. And I, I remember watching Magician's Apprentice and thinking, this isn't what I was expecting mm-hmm. and I'm not sure I like it. I, I loved Devil's Familiar. Was mm-hmm. it Witches for Me? Witches for Me. Yeah, yeah, I get them tuzzled, nodded, nodded up. That's the one thing in the dentist I get wrong. I feel it's not Devil's for Me, it's Witches for Me. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's because the titles don't really appear to relate to anything in the episodes. But they, I mean, yeah. of course, they, they sort of do. Well, but It's also the season of, of very, very clever titles, yeah. which don't necessarily actually help. Yeah, Zygon Inversion, Invasion, Zygon Inversion. Yeah, which is fun. Yeah. But I do sometimes think, yeah, maybe you were being a bit too clever with those titles. Yeah. <laughs> Making them all rhyme and does it stress you out that that's the se- that sort of the season where it becomes less clear what what a story is? I know some fans get stressed by that. So like, well, I mean, yes. For I instance, mean, something like the girl who died, the woman who lived, is that a two parter? Is it two individual I, stories? I certainly have my own theories about that <laughs> because because in my head I have my list and I count them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get that going all the way back from. Uh, 
utopia sound of drums last of a time world which yeah. i regard as one story because i find it that seems to be the party line on it yeah now, but i don't story. think russell always thought that was the case yeah i don't um, know what his view on i i mean my view for what it's worth yeah is that i like to regard um the girl who died the woman who lived as two stories two stories and i tend to regard um heaven sent hell bent and face the raven not in that order obviously as three stories they're three stories i just like there to be more stories i i like to put heaven sent and (coughs) i never used to i used to do heavens when i when i was a hellbent hater you used to put them you wanted heaven sent and hellbent cut off and which is a lot of but now i like to put them together um to annoy the people that only like heaven sent i think that's a very very wise idea Uh, because then then you have if you like heaven sent you have to then uh, you have have to to understand that it disappointed the anarcho-feminism of hellbent and yeah. Uh, then you, yeah. You it's 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 strange. I mean, <laughs> and yeah, I'm also someone who believes Trial of a Time Ward is one story. But for a long time, that was no comments. Yeah. So do you see that as four? Uh, yeah, I think you have to, don't you? No, no you don't. Sorry. Obviously, I don't. Because <laughs> that also means that Silver Nemesis ends up being story 150. Yeah. If Trial of a Time Ward is one story, which which actually seems right, and actually with that counting, Planet of the Dead with the 200 bus is the 200th story. Whereas with you doing it, it's 203. So that's not right, is it? See, this does matter. Yeah. I mean, th- I hadn't I th- thought of that. I mean, what's the 250th? Is that something like... Um, don't think there's any significance to it, is there? Is it they, don't, they don't make a song of dance. No, but it might, be, I think it might be around the time of... No, I think it's actually... It might be um, Flatline. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so you think that. No. It doesn't make a difference. But you see, you. I don't know whether Chris will acknowledge the 300th story. But it won't be this year coming. Is it would it? be that. Would that be series thirteen? Thirteen, or maybe even I don't know. It depends if he makes the seasons even any shorter than he's already yeah. doing. Ten episodes. <laughs> Stop reducing the number of stories, Chris. <laughs> I need there to be more stories, not fewer, because otherwise the lists aren't interesting. I want there to be lots more story titles. Sure. I think that's important. I was annoyed when they stopped using production codes. Yes, because so was Because as a I. child, I yeah, used to memorise yeah. them. Well, and then in Series 7, they stopped doing... I, well, it I, pissed me off when they changed them in Series 5 to being one point something again. Yes, that, that was annoying. That, that stressed me out. Um, I mean, I mean I, I, I'll tell you, because I've, actually I've told no one ever this before. <laughs> but having written Dalek, yeah. I went through a phase, because I really wanted to believe I was the continuation of the show... Mm of continue because 7q is ghost light (laughs) so i made 7r the tv movie right and i think 7s was rose 7t was aliens of london because of course it's it's in production order right which of course the the things on the script are class a nerdery (laughs) things i can't i I might be at 7y was dalek and it made me feel really happy that i was 7y but i I tried a while ago because i was really bored to say, oh, so where would we be? I think we're about eleven or twelve something. But which no, is interesting because that no works one cares. with series number. Yeah, no, yeah, no. But I mean, they've stopped even doing. You see, because I, I used to find a anyway. real beauty in the st- in the production codes that mm. that Perkley went from AAA to ZZZ. Yeah, I loved that. Just and by coincidence. Just, com- I mean, it's gorgeous. Mm. It makes me very cross that Tom Becker didn't go to five Z, but Castro Valva is five Z. That's that is annoying. Yeah. Although 5W is Fort of Doomsday because it's out of order. So it's right, not... Right, right, he, right. He's several stories out. But but I like the actual neatness of Troughton leaving at ZZ, yeah. Pope leaving at ZZZ. And I think that that's where we should be. I, I think that Jodie should be on 13... heading up to 13Z. 
when she goes. You know, that's what I want in my head because I yeah. like that. Because, you know, I'm a bit, you know, sad that way. <laughs> should we end on that note? We probably should. Yeah, I don't want to get uh, get any further down that rabbit, no, rabbit hole. No, probably very, very wise. Um, cool. Thank you so much for talking. Not at all. Me. Thank you um, very much for having me. Rob. That's a uh, great podcast. I really love this podcast. That's really kind Not of you. Not at all. No, it's great fun. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter if they want to hear you talk on um, Twitter? They, well, they won't because I, 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 I don't talk much on social media, but mm. if you want to try and find me occasionally, you know, mm-hmm. mouth off about Trump, um, I'm at Shearman Robert. Pretty easy to and remember. I'll stick I will in the description post about well. new projects like my new book coming yeah, out. What's, yeah, what's coming up um, Oh, I've, with you? I've, I've written this bizarre new book, uh-huh. which is out in April, which Great. is... Um, it's trying to do a modern day Arabian Nights, so it's 101 stories as a choose your own adventure. Oh, so you, cool! You read a story. There are five choices at the end of it. The whole thing's longer than War and Peace. It's all being illustrated. It's it's trying to do us. That's amazing. So stories which are funny and horror stories, and it's about a man trying to save his dead wife if he reads the stories in the right order. Right. And that's yeah, 650,000 words. It's coming out in April. We're currently going through the illustrations. It's just, just it's gone through the edits. It took about seven or eight years to write. Wow! And I'm yeah, so I'm you were sort of on doing that on the back burner while while writing other things. Or? Yeah, yeah, I was doing other stuff as well. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have been able to survive. But that's, um, that's but yeah, astonishing. I mean, but yeah, that's that's the new book. It's called We All Hear Stories in the Dark, and uh, that sounds great. I'm I'm really proud of. It. I, th- I think it's my my favourite thing I've ever done. But after that, of course, I can just you know retire. <laughs> or something but no i mean um I, i'm on I'm, I'm on facebook as well um uh-huh. uh, i don't always immediately add people as often as i should because mm-hmm. i just I, I get stuck behind stuff but i i, I do eventually do so mm-hmm. so but uh, but on twitter i'm yeah uh on a bit so Great. so yeah cool. that uh you can find us as, as, as usual at galatiopod and you can email us at galatiopod uh, at gmail.com alright uh, thank you so much uh, bye bye everybody bye bye everybody